Awesome. That Brett Passmore, he's all right, isn't he? He's a decent guy. Whew. All right, we are starting a three-week series that the church will prevail. The church will prevail. We will talk about that today, next Sunday, and the next Sunday, unless the Lord decides to change plans, which he's certainly capable of doing. Uh, but that's the plan for now. We're gonna, the church will prevail. We're looking at Ephesians 2, 17 through 22 as you get there. Um, so the, the youth is, knows this. I've told them before, but I, I worked for a guy to help build houses whenever I was in high school. Uh, in the summers, sometimes on spring break, things like that. And uh, it was a blast. I learned a lot. Uh, a lot of it I've forgotten, but a lot of it I have not forgotten. It was a great experience. Uh, it was an educational motivator. Um, because when you're digging ditches at 16 in the hot Texas summer sun, it makes you think, you know what, I think I'll finish school. Um, nothing wrong with doing that, but my dad always said if you had a, a different option, why wouldn't you choose it? So that's the way I took that. But uh, I remember one time distinctly, we were working on a 2,400-square-foot house. I remember exactly where it is. I still drive by it sometimes. It's a beautiful house. And we pulled up, and the guy that I worked for, his name was Billy, and he had his nephew there. Um, and so there were two and a half of us because his nephew was pretty young and he was just there. He had a shovel, but I'm not sure he did a whole lot. So we pull up that morning, the sun's rising, it's early, and uh, things are scheduled. And in order for the things to take place that, need, that are scheduled, we have to get the foundation dig ditches done that day in the East Texas red clay, which is not very much fun. So you have to build uh, footers around the outside of a building if you don't know that. So your concrete slab is, you know, yay wide, yay thick. But the outside where the walls set on is a lot thicker, and it depends on the state and the freeze line and a lot of things like that, how, dig, how big, deep and big they have to be. This house had to have 18 inches wide, 24 inches deep, all around a 2,400-square-foot house. And we pull up, and Billy said, we're doing the foundation ditches today. I need it done today. There's a $100 bonus if we finish it today. I was 16. $100 might as well have been a million. Uh, so I was... I was fired up. We got it done. It was a long day. It was a tough day. I'll never forget it. It was a good day. Um, and so if you don't know, when you, when you build those outside ditches to put that thicker concrete on, the, the reason you do that, one of many reasons, is the way buildings are designed, the roof basically helps tie the entire weight of the building to the outside walls. So the outside walls support the majority of the weight of a building. Therefore, the, con the concrete, the foundation, has to be thicker there to support the weight of the building. The foundation is key for a building having structural integrity. It has to be able to support enough weight or the weight of the building in order for it not to collapse or to fall. So here's a beautiful building right here. You may recognize it right off the bat. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. It's in the Piazza del Diomo in Pisa, Italy. It was built, started being built in the late, eight, late 1100s, which is a long time ago for math majors. Uh, and it took a long time to build it because there were some problems with this building and they took a hundred years off from building it They got about halfway up and they had a problem and they stopped about a hundred years later They said well forget it. We'll just go ahead and finish it. So they finished it. It's a beautiful building and now it's a, it's a modern marvel It's a modern marvel and, and from this angle it looks like a normal building But from the other angle you may recognize it now as the Leaning Tower of Pisa if you didn't recognize that already Now an interesting thing happens on the structural integrity of this building it's called the center of gravity, right? 
So to not get too nerdy on you, which I always have to fight that urge, to not get too nerdy on you, basically in physics the center of gravity is the center of the building. Now why that matters is because if any of the outer edge were to ever get outside of that center of gravity, so if you imagine a string hanging down the center of the building, as the building leans, that outside of the building now gets closer to where that center of gravity was. Even though the building moved, the center of gravity stays the same. If it gets outside of that, if the outside of that touches the center of gravity, then it will fall, which this building came very close to doing. In the 1990s, they actually did this crazy underground stuff to dig up underneath the foundation and try to actually get it to lean back the other direction. And they were able to bring it from five degrees of lean to four degrees of lean, but they couldn't do enough to get it straight. And now I don't think anybody wants it straight because it's such a, a cool thing to see. Why did that building do that? Very, very, very simple. The structure of the foundation, the clay on which it was built, was only three meters deep, and the composition of the soil and the clay was not strong enough to handle the weight of the building. So, as that weight goes out to the outside of the structure, like anything else, it's going to find the weakest point of that foundation, which it found. And at that point, the weight of that structure caused it to sink. So the building started leaning and is continuing to lean ever since at a rate of two millimeters per year, which is not very much until it's too far. Then it's too far, and that's not good. Well, th this idea of the foundation being key to a structure is key to us and what we're looking at today. When we're looking at Paul's letter to Ephesus, the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And now Paul is in a big section that we're looking at here. He's in a big section on unity. Unity in the church. We've looked at it before, just not from this angle. Uh, namely, unity between Jews and Gentiles, which was the big di division of that day. But really, unity in general. Any, anything the world could use to divide humans into separate groups, God says, no longer matters in his kingdom, in his house. God has crushed and brought together what the world thinks should be separated. So we're picking it up right at the end of this section on unity. He's already kind of laid the groundwork, and we're picking it up there towards the end of it. In verse 17, he says, He came, he being Jesus, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the corner stone in him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit so as we dig into that I'm going to pray for us and we'll dig in kind of to what Hopefully the Lord has for us this morning. God, I come before you this morning, and I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, Lord. That your word would speak through me, that I would be a vessel and nothing else, Lord. That anything that I say this morning would be, would be what you would have us to hear. Lord, I pray that our hearts are receptive to your word. That the, that the saints among us, Lord, would be, would be revived and inspired to continue to, to live for you. To place their faith in you, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone that has never made that eternal life altering decision that today would be the day of salvation that when they hear the good news of Jesus Christ that their heart would be pierced be turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh Lord and they would desire 
to submit their life to you today, God. And that all the people here present in person and through the camera and all the heavenly hosts, Lord, will, will celebrate as another one comes home to you this morning, God. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we look here. In the first part there, Paul says that he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away from God and peace to those who, near, who are near. This is another part of where he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews were near to God, near to God in knowledge, near to God in God's choosing, near to God in being given a partial revelation of God up until this point. So they were near to God, but the Gentiles were far from God. You and I are Gentiles. So we should always say amen anytime we read something in the New Testament that says, hey, Gentiles can be part of this Jesus thing. If that weren't the truth, then you and I would just be stuck or we'd have to become ethnic Jews, and that's a whole other process. So be thankful for that. It says you and those who are near, Gentiles and Jews. But you could put that onto anything, really and truly. You could put that onto anything that we try to divide each other up, all the common things, rich and poor, you know, all the different things, ethnic groups, nationalities, languages, all those things. Scripture is clear that when God finally returns to reign forevermore, that all nations, all tongues, all peoples will confess that he is Lord. So there is no division in human beings. Now there is diversity, which is cool. There's diversity in skill. There's diversity in knowledge. There's diversity in experience. But we are all equal in value brought together as one because of Jesus Christ. And that's a really cool truth and a truth that we should never just skim over and not be thankful for. Now, it's not the main point today, so we're moving forward, but don't forget that. We are brought together as one in Christ. And then he moves on there. He says, moving down, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not Gentiles, pagan, lost, forever without, without hope from God. You're no longer that, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, which obviously as a citizen of a nation, that comes rights. Of course, also with rights comes responsibilities. And I won't go all former social studies civics teacher on you, but with rights comes responsibilities. That's the way it works. But the, the point here is that you're, you're, you're gaining the rights of citizenship in God's kingdom. But that's just not quite enough. The language of it was just not quite enough because Paul didn't stop there. It's great to be a citizen. It's great to be given rights and responsibilities. But Paul goes even further than that with his language. He says, and members of God's household. So you are brought in. You're, you're no longer a stranger, person far from God. You're a fellow citizen. But even more than that, you're part of God's household, the family of God. And as the children told us this morning, it's a big, big house. And it's a big house that's continuing to still be built to this day. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but it is. Now, real quick here, I didn't highlight it, but real quick there, it says, fellow citizens with the saints. This is a, just a quick side note. With the saints. Now, that's, a, that's, that's really neat if you think about it. This, this, this house of God, this building of God, this temple of God, this family of God is current living you and me but we are still connected to the saints of yonder the saints of before we're connected to the past that that's why here we started this several years ago we have three things that we always want to do we want to honor the past we want to equip the present we want to reach the future never in this church 
as far as I'm, as long as I'm here, standing in this position, will we ever forget what has taken place to get us to where we are right now? We should never, ever, ever, in my opinion, dishonor the past. Hello? Oh. <laughs> Listen, you've got to change your ringtone to amen. It, then, it can go, then it can go off in church whenever you want it to, and you'll get me fired up. So we want to honor the past. So coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, I guess, uh, on October 10th, we're going to have a traditional Sunday service. Okay, what does that mean? Well, show up and you'll find out. But we're going to have a traditional Sunday service on October 10th. We've done it before. That means I'll be wearing a suit, which is the worst part of the whole deal. But other than that, it'll be great. Okay, because we want to honor the past. Things have taken place in order to get here. Thousands of years of things have taken place in order for us to get here. For us to be able to have God's word and know who God is and not be far from God. Moving along before I belabor that too long. And he moves on there, verse 20. It says, built on the foundation of this household of God, this, this place where the family of God dwells, is built on the foundation of. Now, we, we've discussed this already just a few minutes ago. The foundation on which something is built is absolutely key to whether or not it will remain. The foundation of what? Well, this household of God has the, the strongest foundation, the strongest foundation that anything could be laid on. It's, it's laid and made up in part, it says here, by the apostles and the prophets. Who are the apostles? Those sent directly by Jesus. And they've gone out and they've, they've done this work, and they did the work, and they were all, all of them but one, were all killed for their work. And they laid this foundation of what it means to continue in the life of following Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. They did that in part. But the most important part of the foundation. Amen, brother. You know what's coming, don't you, Forrest? Forrest is already ahead of me. He's been, he's been on it this morning. He's already told me three good stories. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. This thing that we call church is built on Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. Nothing else that it should be built upon, nothing else that it can be built upon, and nothing else that will sustain it. Nothing else. No laws, no leaders, no nothing. Nothing is going to be built upon and sustain the church other than the Savior of the church, the Lord of the church, the God of the universe, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Paul says it differently in 1 Corinthians 3.11 so that, so that you can't get it twisted because you can't just take this piece out and say, well, the foundation is the apostles and, and, the, and the prophets. No, they are in part the foundation because 1 Corinthians 3.11 says it this way, no one can lay any foundation other than that that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. He himself is the foundation and the cornerstone of God's house. A building is only as good as its foundation and cornerstone. Period. You can have beautiful walls. You can have beautiful stained glass. I used to joke with my wife that we were going to replace that stained glass just to aggravate her. I, don't, I love the stained glass, but she said, no, you are not. <laughs> that, was, that was always fun. <laughs> you can have all this beautiful stuff, but if your foundation is weak, if your foundation lacks integrity, if your foundation is not made up 
of the right stuff, if it has any type of structural damage, if it is not what it is supposed to be, none of the rest of it matters. The foundation is what matters for any structure to sustain the storms of life that are going to come. Jesus Christ is the foundation and the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone, that's an interesting thing because we're past, really, that concept. In the industrial age, we just pump out like-sized brick or like-sized stone very easily. It's not even really, it's still a concept, but the actual physical existence of a cornerstone, unless it's done on purpose for ceremonial reasons, is not really, not really a thing anymore like it used to be. The, the cornerstone, you got to remember, to build a building out of stone in these times, you had to shape and make and find and get the stones. And if the stones weren't similar size and similar weight and similar structure and made up of the same and all those types of things, then it wouldn't last. So the cornerstone was the stone laid in the foundation and in the wall in which the entire foundation and the entire existence of the walls and everything else would be shaped after, after it was laid. So the cornerstone is, is you find it, you find the shape of it, the, the, the perfect existence and you, and you put it in the exact right spot at the exact right angle just like it needs to be and then all other stones that are placed within that building are all fashioned to look like act like be shaped like and exist like the cornerstone just like you and me when it comes to following Jesus so catch this we are the temple. And I think sometimes we know that, but I think sometimes we skim over the existence of the fact that Israel went from having a temple to the followers of Jesus being the temple. It's significant. See, before sin, God walked with his people. He walked with his people before sin. But then after sin and during the Exodus, he dwelt with his people in the tabernacle, a building that moved, a building that God said he didn't want to be moved from, but Israel wouldn't listen. And then Israel said, we got to, God, you are the God, you are God, you are this big God, so we, we have to build you this big, magnificent building to show the world how magnificent you are. And so Israel did. God allowed them, and they built this phenomenal temple. Of course, it was torn down more than once, but in Jesus' day, it had been rebuilt. And then, and then in that building, God dwelt within that building in the Holy of Holies, a place that a human being was not allowed to even go into because the existence, the presence of God was there in the Holy of Holies. Everything in Jewish life, everything in the Old Testament life, everything about the nation of Israel, everything centered and revolved around the temple. It was everything. It was national pride. It was where you sacrificed. It was where you worshipped. It's where you went for all the big festivals. It was everything to the Jews, the temple. And then Jesus comes along and says, it ain't about the temple anymore. It's about me. And after I leave, I'm sending something better. The comforter, the counselor. Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is going to be in you and dwell in you <laughs> and you 
follower of Jesus are now going to be this big, magnificent building that makes a statement to the world. You will be where I express my goodness. You will be where I express my glory, my power, my saving grace. Through you, follower of Jesus, you will be my living temple of God. That's a pretty significant thing. That's a pretty big responsibility for the citizens of the kingdom of God. Sure, we have rights, but we got responsibilities. We are the living temple of the God of the universe with his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Could there be a bigger responsibility placed on anyone's life? Definitely, I would say no. Then it gets even cooler, I think. Don't miss this. In him, the whole building being put together, in other words, it's a building that's continuing to be put together, grows into a holy temple. Grows into a holy temple. The building of God, you and me, are continuing to be made into the temple of God. You don't just follow Jesus and then you're done. You don't just follow Jesus and then everything's okay. You don't just follow Jesus and then go to heaven, as far as that goes. It continues to grow. Question is, are you growing? Am I growing? Think about, think about a building made of, of stones that could, could grow or shrink according to how they, uh, how they f- stay connected to their foundation. It would be a funny-looking building if, if you just randomly picked 10 or 15 of these bricks in the side of these walls, and all of a sudden they just shrunk, barely existed anymore. It would be weird. The structural integrity of the building would be affected. It would look dumb. You'd be able to see through it. Its defenses would be, would be down. Are you growing, Christian? Am I growing, Christian? How do we grow? Well, we know how to grow. It's so simple that it's easy to forget. It's so simple that it's easy to to neglect. It's so simple that we just pass it off as not that big of a deal. At least I have at points in my life. Satan will convince you, hey, you you don't need to read scripture. You don't need to pray. You don't need to be gathered together and spend time together worshiping God. You don't need that. You don't need to sing songs. You certainly don't need to sing that song or this song. You don't need to be growing. God's Word says that's just flat out not the truth. That's not the truth. We are living stones that are growing. And he goes on there, he says, that we're growing into this holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also. You and I. The church is alive. It's growing. Here's the thing. The church, because the stones are alive, in the living stone, the living stone, we are living stones as well, because of the living stone, because of Jesus, because the church is alive and growing, it will always prevail. The church of Jesus Christ will always prevail because its foundation and cornerstone is Jesus. The church is built in Jesus, and it will always prevail. Always, always, and always. Peter says it this way, same concept, same thing, a little different language, a little different angle. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.45, As you come to him, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Think about that word. I love that word, precious to him. The living stone, Jesus Christ, what he did was precious to God. You also, like living stones, 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God only because of Jesus. You are acceptable to God, and I am acceptable to God only because of Jesus, only because of what he did on the cross, only because his righteousness is able to be transmuted to you, only because of Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ will continue on only because of Jesus. No other reason. No other reason. Don't ever, ever, ever stray from that truth. The living, breathing stone. He's alive. He's alive, church. Hey, go check. Go check. It's a few thousand miles that way. Go check. Go find his, go find his grave. Go find his graveside. We know where it is. Guess what's in there? Air and opportunity. That's it. Ain't nothing in there. The grave of, of our God, the grave of the Savior of, the, of mankind, the grave of the cornerstone and foundation of what we do as Christians, of the church, of his group of people, that grave is empty and has been empty for almost 2,000 years now. now. You can go find the graves of anybody else that's ever lived to proclaim anything. You can go find the grave of Muhammad. You can go find the, the, all that for, for all the different things. All the popes, all the apostles, all of them, everyone, everyone that has claimed authority is in the grave, except the living stone. Except the living stone. And never, never, ever, church, never, ever lose the power and the excitement of what it is to live for a for a God that died for you, but just as importantly had the power to overcome death for you and be resurrected. He is a living stone. That grave is still empty. So what are we saying? I've already said it, but I'll say it again. The church will prevail because it's built on Jesus Christ, the living cornerstone. Nothing is ever, ever going to stop the church from doing what the church is supposed to do the holy temple of god his building it is alive not dead satan can do all he wants to do he can try and blow a hole in her side picture the the, the tower of pisa he can blow a hole right in the side of that building if that building were to represent the church but the church is alive and it may get wounded but wounds heal in a living being wounds Heal. Satan can do whatever he wants to do, but the church is alive, and it will heal from its wounds, and it will continue to move forward. Politics may try to divide, but the church of God is alive, and it will survive, and it will prevail. Nations and kings will rise and fall, just as they always have, and they will continue to do. Nations and kings will come, and they will go, but the church of the living God will prevail. Evil laughs in the darkness of night. But the marvelous light of God will shine. The sun will rise because the sun has risen. Amen. To live forevermore. Tragedy can strike. Tragedy can strike. And tragedy can break our hearts into a million pieces. But our God, church, our God is the Redeemer of broken hearts. 
He's the redeemer of broken hearts. He is the mender of broken hearts. He is the great physician. He is the mender of broken hearts. Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. The world can do whatever it wants to do. But the church of the living God will prevail. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Not you, not me, not anybody else, not sin, not death, not Satan, not tragedy, not sadness, nothing. Not a president, not a king, not a nothing. Nothing is going to stop the church of God from advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing. On Christ, the solid rock we stand. All other ground sinking sand. Nothing's going to stop us. Jesus Christ, his bride, the church, it will prevail. It will prevail because he has already won the victory. And we can't lose sight of that church. May we never get distracted by the minor things that don't matter more than the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is death has been defeated. Sin has been forgiven. Jesus Christ conquered, it both, conquered them both, lives forevermore, and still draws you and me and those that don't know him in to be transformed from dead stones to living stones, to be part of the holy temple of God, to live forevermore, and nothing, and I mean nothing, is going to stop that. I'll pray for us. We'll finish in song. And if you've never placed your faith in the living stone, if you're a dead stone with a heart of stone, and you want to become a living stone with a heart of flesh that has an eternal purpose, an eternal meaning for your life, then we can take care of that today. I'll be up here, but if you need somebody to talk to, Stuart will be here, available. If you want to talk to me afterwards, I'll be happy to talk to you afterwards. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for the truth of what it means that you are a living stone, the living cornerstone, that we are built on nothing less than your righteousness. Lord, may we never, ever lose our zeal for what that means, God. That no matter what, no matter what this life throws at us, if it thinks it's going to win, it's wrong. Satan is wrong. The demons are wrong. Evil is wrong. You are the victor. And you are the victor forevermore. Lord, may we never, ever, ever do anything outside of that truth. That we are built on the truth of the gospel. Sins are forgiven. You are God. And you want us and your family in your household, to be part of your temple. We praise you for that this morning, God. As we stand up and sing this last song together, may we, may we concur with the word we've heard today by how we sing praises to you before we leave today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.